Shot is no good. The rebound tapped back outside. The cannon drives the lane. Blocked by Wolf. Rebound Pennsylvania. Dave Wall. The Bilski's Leon to the wall in the middle. Up and good. Leon too fast. Greg executed to perfection. Here comes Fields the other way for a foul. Gets to the foul line. Blocked from behind by Wall. Wolf with the rebound. No good. Rebound. Bob Wolf. Pennsylvania. Hot left pass to Bilski. Take the center run again. Bilski has Calhoun and Wolf all the way underneath. To be no good. Welcome to Penalty Box, the DP Sports Podcast. I'm Sam Mitchell, here as always with Mark Margolis and Carter Thompson. And today our special guest is Zach DiGregorio. And we're talking about everything Penn Athletics, uh, especially Penn men's and women's basketball. Um, so just, just to start, uh, Mark had a chance to sit down with Devin Goodman, who exploded off the bench for 23 points uh, to help lift Penn past Columbia. They came back from a double-digit deficit in that game. So uh, enjoy that. All right, Devin, so thanks for taking the time to uh, sit down with me. No um, so uh, I guess starting off with some of the questions. Uh, so after seeing your playing time kind of dwindle this season, what was your mindset when Coach Donnie put you in the game against Columbia? Uh, were you surprised, and how were you able to have such a huge game? Uh, yeah, I was a little surprised I got in the game, considering I didn't play that much. I haven't, I haven't played in a month. But uh, the thing that Coach Donahue always uh, emphasizes is to stay ready. That's one thing I learned my, since my freshman year. Um, you never know when you want to get in the game. So um, I just control what I can control. Just kept working out, kept uh, doing me. And um, my time came, I just did whatever I could for the team. Because this was a little bit of a change from your freshman year, where yeah. you started off not playing a lot yeah. and then ended up playing a huge role and it seemed like your sophomore year was starting, uh, you know, kind of it went kind of went in reverse. So was it, um, I mean, how was that for your confidence to get back on the court? And what did you, what do you think you did in practice? Because Don, you always talks about if you play well in practice, you yeah. know, you have a shot at getting in the game no matter where you're on the depth chart. So what do you think you're doing in practice to, you know, earn those reps come game time? Um, well, one thing with me is I never lose confidence. And um, during practice, I just, that's one thing I did. I just kept playing with confidence, and uh, I think that showed to Coach Donahue that um, I wasn't afraid to make mistakes out there and just play my game. And so is last is I guess last week. So even you know even the game against Cornell, you, not as many points, but you still had a pretty big impact. Do you think last weekend kind of marked a sort of reemergence for you back in you know back into the fold as you know one of the key contributors on the court? Uh yeah, hopefully uh, hopefully I get more playing time um, these upcoming games and. Um, if they don't, if the team doesn't need me, then I'll do whatever I can off the bench to uh, support my players. And if I do to get in the game, then I'll do whatever I can um, help my team win. Um, so I guess what are you doing, you know, during practice, off days, to I guess continue to keep up your play? Uh, what are some of the things you work on day to day? Uh, well, I work out with the coaches all the time um, during off days. And anytime we don't have practice or maybe before practice, I get shots up just to, you know, keep um, my shot consistent and just to keep my confidence up. And so what are your goals as an individual and a team heading into these huge matchups against Dartmouth and Harvard this weekend? Uh, these are these are big games, especially the game versus Harvard. Um, we have four league games left. Uh, we're tied on top of the Ivy League with Harvard. And um, these last four games will be really important. And if we play as a team, play together, and each person on the team does their role, then uh, we should be fine. Um, so given the kind of buzz Harvard's had, you know, within the Ivy League, they had a huge recruiting class year sophomore. You know, same years you guys, they have four four-star recruits. Does the buzz surrounding them affect you guys at all? You know, given that 
for at least for the Ivy League, they're kind of a pretty hype team yeah. recruiting wise. Does that affect you guys at all? Uh, no, not really. I think uh, for our team, we just focus on us and what we can control. Uh, Harvard has a really good team, but we have really good guys too. We have a good freshman class that came in. Um, my sophomore class is pretty good, and we have great leaders on the team. So uh, we don't worry about the other stuff. We just focus on us. All right, so a uh, few takeaways from that interview. I would say the first thing I was surprised of is that he is that Devin admitted he was surprised getting in. Usually when you interview athletes or coaches in that sort of context, you get this sort of, oh, I'm always ready, you know. Um, coaches, you always have a chance of getting in no matter where you're on the depth chart. <clears throat> but, you know, he showed a, he showed a little bit of, um, showed a little bit of honesty and he was surprised. I mean, the last time he played was actually the Cornell Columbia weekend, I believe. So, uh, something about the matchup that Donahue liked and clearly paid off. Um, him and Caleb coming off the bench, uh, you know, were two of the biggest reasons why they were able to come back. And bringing in our ath an athlete himself, uh, sprint football quarterback Zach DiGregorio. Um, you know, you guys have had game. You had games throughout your four years where you guys fell behind. What did you see? Did you see anything from uh, from this, you know, from men's basketball slate of games that reminded you of anything you've gone through as an athlete at uh, Penn? And uh, what were your main yeah. takeaways? Uh, perspective? I think you're always, when you, I mean, my last year, my junior year, when we won, a, we won a championship, I think we were behind in three games in the fourth quarter. I think it just comes down to, like, one play or one guy who can provide a spark, and obviously against Columbia, Goodman was that guy. Um, especially, you know, this this team has tended to start a little slower on the road. Um, and, you know, it's the Cornell-Columbia weekend is always a tough one just with that trip. Um, but I think Penn started something like one for 11 out of the box, maybe one for nine, something like that. But just having a guy to come in and just, like, get two shots to fall um, or, like, in our case, just, like, Make a make a tough catch like on the sideline. Just get a little bit of momentum going. Then everything else starts to fall into rhythm because then, you know, you can get back on defense. You're like you're more in a, a set like pace of the game. You're able to control things a little bit more. Um, so that's just kind of a long way to say like making shots, pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Baskets are fun. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I've particularly noticed about this team is that they'll go cold for multiple stretches and multiple minutes during games, and one of my biggest questions throughout the year was, are they going to be able to sustain winning while doing that within the conference? And I think that when you have a guy like Goodman who comes in and can provide you that spark or at least shows the capacity to show that spark, as the same with Caleb Wood, like, that just helps you so much, and it takes so much pressure off of your starters to, like, know that those five guys don't have to score all of the points for you to win a game. Like, you can bring somebody in right off the bench, and they can come in and help you win. Against Columbia, they didn't score that many points. Uh, A.J. Broder was the only uh, starter in double figures. Mm -hmm. And the big thing with Goodman is a lot of guys coming off the bench can provide a scoring punch, but he's also a playmaker. On the weekend, he had 10 assists to two turnovers. He's going in there, and he's, in a way, running the offense. He's giving he, – he's another ball handler. He's not just – standing at the three you know we see a lot with Caleb and Jake and Sam Jones the guys coming off the bench they seem to have more of a three and D type of feel but Goodman's going in there and he seems to be this all-around playmaker and that's going back to what he said in the interview talking about he's not afraid to make mistakes and that's not a slight on the other guys but Goodman plays with this fast-paced sort of 
in control, reckless abandon. That's a bit of a, you know, seems, <laughs> I don't know how much sense that phrase makes, but, you know, he's playing fast but in control. And, you know, this weekend he was a huge spark. Um, so any additional thoughts, I guess? Yeah, I think that um, obviously this was kind of like one, you hope this isn't a flash in the pan, but even if you can get 10 or 11 good minutes from from him going forward, that combined with, you know, Caleb Wood off the bench, and there's there's no other player in the Ivy League like Caleb Wood that can come off the bench and just get, like, surface of the sun hot, <laughs> not only from three, but in the last four or five weeks he's been getting to the rack too. Um, it's like, it. I think especially come tournament time, just having so many options to bring guys off your bench and give you... Like when you can, when you need a bucket, you can go to so many different guys to do so many different things. Um, I think that's a huge, huge advantage. It's has to be one of the deepest teams I've seen at Penn. I mean, think about the guys who are right now out of the rotation. Uh, Sam Jones, a little bit in and out, but we can count for the most part. He's really been out of the rotation, and he was a starter uh, sophomore season. Donahue saw significant minutes his first two years. There's just a lot of guys who have seen a lot of significant playing time for Penn, and that's it's even better because Donnie has so many options to play with the rotation, which is, you know, why when it comes, just why practice is so important for these guys, because they can, act, they can, anyone, I, it seems like 12 guys could realistically get on the court any single game, and that's not, that's not normal in college basketball. Yeah, it looks like, just from, I'm not a math major, but it seems like they have nine guys who are playing a legit 10 minutes a game, and that's just, that's huge to have a rotation like that when you're playing, you know, like the Ivy League does, two games back-to-back um, to be able to rest guys' legs or in the tournament when you're playing two high-intensity games back-to-back. Um, and I think having guys with a little bit less experience, especially coming off the bench, um, comes into play in a big way when you're playing these tournament games at home. Um, just as a basketball rule of thumb, those guys on the bench just play better at home. Um, so it seems like Things are things are starting to line up if they can stay hot. Yeah, and and they'll face a big test uh, as far as that's concerned when uh, Harvard comes to visit. You know that, that's on that game's on Saturday, and uh, they lost a tough one at home, but uh, at, at at Harvard's home uh, on the road. <laughs> um, and and so I, I think it'll kind of tell us a lot, especially because the tournament's being played at the Palestra. You know, this is the class of the Ivy League, Penn versus Harvard coming up, and. Um, it's going to tell us a lot about whether they're going to be able to sustain this incredible run that they've had uh, now in the start in the middle of the season and uh, whether they're actually going to be able to bring home a championship. Yeah, I mean, kind of similar to what was like the Penn-Princeton women's game last weekend. Like Everyone, I think, is going to be looking at this game and going to be really focused to see what Penn does against Harvard because they just got thoroughly outplayed for lack of a better way to put it, when they went up to Harvard a few weeks ago. And, um, you know, we acknowledged that we didn't think that that loss was that big of a deal. And so I think that I'm, you know, I'm particularly interested to see how they come out and respond to that loss and respond to playing at home. Um, and can they, beat, can they beat Harvard or can they play them tough? Because then, you know, in a one-shot game in the Ivy League tournament, anything can happen. But you just have to see if they can play with them and hang with them first. And, and I think even more than, uh, you know, obviously it'd be great to win, great to, you know, if they win, most likely get that number one seed in the tournament. Um, but even more importantly, uh, this is a big confidence game, I think, for the team. And uh, 
in, in, even just hanging with Harvard more than they did uh, when, when when they visited them last, uh, you know, it really just pound that message home. This team knows they're good. They know that, that they can be the best team in the league, but uh, they really need to believe that they can beat Harvard. You know, if they lose a season sweep and, and they get kind of uh, dismantled in both games, it's going to be a tough third game. Yeah, I think that um, obviously this is an important test, and it's kind of a weird uh, – this game has kind of a weird feel to it because, yes, it is for first place, and you'd have a huge game up in the standings, but the rest of the Ivy League is in complete chaos. Like, this game has, like, very small implications relative to every other game this weekend, and it's <laughs> kind of really fun. But, yeah, there's no reason to think that these two teams – won't meet again in the Ivy League final. I think it's just about, for Penn, it's doing what Devin Goodman did last game, which is doing a really good job of moving off the ball. When you have two guys that pass the ball really well from the low post and the high post, like Rothschild and Broder do. And then just, uh, I know Bentley's been a little bit colder than you'd like him to be in the past two or three games, but he's as long as he's stepping into shots, like that's the guy I want shooting. <laughs> um, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and back what you're saying about uh, the front court, Broder led Broder led the Quakers in assists over the weekend. You know, this front court really knows how to move the ball. Given that Broder coming in, you would say teams probably keyed up on him, thinking he was going to be our best offensive player, and he very well still might be. But given you know the attention he's received, that's opened it up for everyone else, which is why you see you know the ridiculously high assist numbers. I believe it's three point about three and a half assists per 40 minutes, which is really, really good for, for a power, power forward. Um, so transitioning to women, uh, they came off a tough uh, slate against uh, or they, they, So they had Columbia and Cornell this weekend, but, you know, kind of recovering from their... What? Anyway. Oh. Uh, yeah, so they, they had a, um, you know, a tough loss last weekend. Not last weekend, but last week at Princeton. Uh, it was a game that I, I think we were hyping up a lot. A lot of people were, were hyping up a lot because we thought that, you know, Penn could kind of avenge that early season loss, which of course they were not able to do. They, they got beat by a lot. Um, but they, they bounced back. You know, they, they handled Cornell and Columbia, which uh, was expected, but, you know, it's good to get those, those wins in the book. Um, yeah, no doubt. I mean, they lost 40-60 to 60 on the road at Princeton and then came back and won by you know, 35 points and then nearly 20 points. So, you know, good to see them respond, especially on the road. But Princeton sure looks like they're kryptonite right now. And I think that a lot of people within the department kind of hold hold those thoughts. And, um, you know, can they can they beat Princeton? Thank um, God for the tournament. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Otherwise, you know, Princeton would be number one right here in the standings by a couple games. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that you know, no time to panic necessarily, but you know, can they can they beat them ultimately? Yeah, I think this this Princeton team just has so much firepower. I I don't know how you defend a player like Leslie Robinson. I mean, she can no matter what she's gonna do, she's like she's gonna get hers whether it's with her assists, with uh, transition buckets. I mean, she's she's someone that you just kind of have to pencil in to get hers, and then. The Quakers, I think, just need to, again, I feel like if they're moving off the ball well, this team is, is going to be okay because they have people 
like Lauren Whitlatch and Anna Ross who can who can make shots and then obviously down low they have two enforcers but you have to be able to spread that defense out by like hitting it at least at least a couple early to get that not only get that going but spread that defense out and let Noketti and Parker go to work it comes down to a lot I mean you know they're gonna have to play they're they're gonna have to bring their A game come the tournament this isn't one of those teams where they can get away with playing a B or a C game or even an A minus game. It's clear Princeton is talent wise the best team in the league. And they've proved it twice. They've taken care of business against our beloved Quakers. But that doesn't mean that they're gonna come away within the tournament. And you know, as we've seen in and say March Madness, we almost saw last year in the men's tournament, teams teams are prone to get upset. It's just the nature of a tournament style. And but it's gonna come down to pen hitting shots and, you know, really bringing their A game. Yeah. And I you know, I, I think there might be a case to be made um, for for Penn to pick up the pace a little bit in in uh, if they if they meet Princeton in the tournament because you know that forty to sixty is a really low scoring game for this team. I mean, holding Princeton to sixty is great, and this is a team with a great defense, especially on shooters um, overall. But they've just gotta, and 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 I don't uh, I don't know exactly what. What the issues were, if there were a lot of turnovers or, or what, but um, you know they they've got to score more, and I think to do that they're going to have to pick the pace up and and turn this into a little more of a shootout and, and just you know hope that uh, pe- people can get hot. I mean they have a lot of people that have gotten hot against other teams in the past, and um, you know could could could, could make yeah, something that's happen. kind yeah. of a an interesting like tension because on one hand you have Anna Ross who when she runs the break she does it so so well. I mean she can finish at the rack with anybody in the Ivy League and she sees the court so well. I mean, she's the Penn's all-time leading assist right. uh, a sister. Um, but at the same time, if you speed it up, are you losing the advantage that you have not only down low, but on the offensive boards to get those second chances with Nokedi and Parker? Right. Yeah, no, and, and that's a balance they're going to have to strike. Um, but, but let's look even a little further ahead now. Um, this is something that uh, we're going to try and do every week, but just thinking about uh, should either of our our Penn teams make the NCAA tournament, uh, where do they stand seeding right now? And um, yeah, so, um, oh, sorry. Well, so I was looking at you know, our beloved Joe Lenardi's bracketology <laughs> before Harvard beat Penn and had the tiebreaker as of now. So how they do how bracketology is done is they will put for mid major conferences that won't get an at large bid like the Ivy League, they will put the team that's currently in first place and slot them into where they would be if they finish the season as the as you know as the as the uh, postseason tournament winner. And right now they have Harvard slotted at about a fifteen but before before that game, Penn was slotted at around a twelve or as as around a fifteen seed as well. And looking at Princeton last year, they were a twelve seed, which is kind of the dream for a mid major, and they had seven losses. Currently, Penn has seven losses, so I see it as yeah, they probably have to win out to get a twelve seed. You know, to have a probably to have a decent matchup that first weekend. It's just the nature of the league. I mean, you play play lesser competition so you have to stand out that much more and although Penn has stood above you know has stood above the Ivy League and a lot of their out of conference opponents this season they haven't done it enough to justify a relatively high tournament seed 
unless they're able to win out. But at this rate, they're probably assuming they lose one or two more games. One or two more games is just reasonable to you know, maybe expect. Uh, they're probably looking, in my opinion, at a 14 to 15. Yeah, I think um, it especially pivotal is going to be the Harvard game, obviously, because that's you know the the best opponent that we have left to face, and 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 then on top of that, you know we we're probably going to play them twice if we do make the tournament, um, and so you know Harvard is a tournament 15 seed according to Joe Lenardi right now, so beating them twice certainly helps our case, but yeah we. Uh, we absolutely can't have any more losses to uh, to, to any, any of the other Ivy League teams, or, or I think we're, we're our ceiling is going to become a 15 seed very quickly. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing for me is just looking at the RPI of both us, or you know, us being Penn and Harvard. And right now, Penn is at 143 in the RPI, and Harvard is at 145. And so, you know, with the RPI being that high, like you're just not going to get seeded that well frankly and it's just you know it's not really saying that Penn or Harvard is bad it just means that based on the schedule that they've played and the losses and wins that they've accrued over the season just put them at that position and I think that it is you know it is reasonable to pretty much be right at about a 15 or a 16 um, and I think that that's ultimately where they're going to end up yeah I if think yeah yeah if they make it well, fingers crossed yeah. yeah we're an optimistic podcast here um <laughs> I think that yeah, I think either of these teams, their their ceilings are probably capped in that fourteen to fifteen range, only because, you know, if you like look at both schedules side to side, like at, at the end of the season, no matter who's there, I think Harvard is going to be the best win for Penn, or Penn's going to be the best win for Harvard. Um, at, well, you could say maybe Penn beating Dayton, who is, a, which is a team that's in tournament section, although Dayton's way down this season. Yeah, they're, they're, not really gonna, yeah. they're not going to be in this year. They're not gonna be in the, already. Yeah, they're definitely not going to be in the tournament. But they have some bad losses, like, uh-huh. to Penn. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, it's funny to see, you know, you, yeah. if, if Penn or Harvard pull an upset, it's like, we are a bad loss for a major conference team. Right? Yeah. Which, you know, which is, when you come to the tournament, that's the dream. I, wanna, I would love for Penn to be that bad loss. Yeah, I know all my friends at home who go to huge state schools and always... Uh, you know, always poke fun at me for going to a school with, I guess, lesser sports, and I'd love to win one over them. Honestly, even if it's Harvard, you know, whoever gets <laughs> yeah. in, whoever gets in, I'm re- maybe not Princeton. Princeton, I don't want them to win if they get in, but they're not getting in this year. But um, fingers crossed. Let's I guess. See fingers crossed. <laughs> but uh, you know, if it's anyone in the Ivy League but Princeton, I'm. It's definitely great to represent the conference. Absolutely, totally. Yeah. And like, should these teams get in? Obviously, like a. A 16 seed or a 15 seed is a really tough hill to climb, but both Amaker and Steve Donahue have experience doing really, really good things in the tournament. So, yeah. you know, maybe, there's a chance. Maybe we propose Penn throw some regular season games, kill in the tournament, get a 16 seed, and become the first 16 to defeat a one. Because it's coming. <laughs> I there, mean, didn't, so it's gotta, somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. Didn't, didn't Nova, though, like beat us by... 30 or whatever. Well, I mean, that's what a 16 to 1 matchup. <laughs> we're, obviously, we're obviously not the favorite. I'm not saying, I'm not saying this is probable to happen. Yeah, I don't expect, I don't expect, you know. I just, I, I don't, don't know, know if we can afford to be thrown in. the defense of Mark Margolis, the teams that have done this really well, I'm thinking of the, I guess like four or five, or 
I guess it was probably five or six years ago at this point, that Princeton team that played Kentucky mm. um, and lost on that Brandon Knight last-second floater. Oh, uh, they they won, like, with defense. And, like, this Penn team is probably the best defensive team in the Ivy League, especially when it comes to defending the three ball, which can, like, keep a game close. Absolutely. So, like, you and hope for the best. in mind they can get hot from three. That yeah. is, mm-hmm. it's the classic, you got to get hot. It's The formula is play you know, play sound team defense because you're going to go against a team that's way more athletic than you and get hot from three. And, you know, yeah. anything can happen for either Penn or Harvard. And and so let's take a look now at the um, bracketology for the women. Uh, Princeton is currently at the top of the standings. Obviously, they're, they're one game now ahead of, of Penn after um, getting the season sweep over us. And uh, they're projected to be a 12 seed, uh, according to the latest bracket um which you know is that that that's a good spot i think that if penn wins out that probably comes with a win over princeton in the tournament and and so maybe you know i i i, I, I don't know I, I think i think penn winning out can probably get to a 12 seed in the tournament they, they've only lost to princeton at this point and so if they avenge that loss that that certainly says something about the team yeah, I think it says a lot in here that it says Princeton slash Ivy. And so I think that they're saying even if Princeton doesn't win the Ivy League title, whoever does win, assuming that it is Penn um, most reasonably, then that's who they're also going to put at that 12 seed. And so I think that that's very, you know, reasonable to think about, like especially if they do win out and beat Princeton in the tournament like we are discussing. Something we haven't really harped on is the fact that the tournament's at the Palestra. I mean, mm-hmm. you, we get, both teams get their third shot on home court. All, you know, it's not going to be, it's not run by Penn per se. They might, if There might be Ivy League banners, but it's going to be the Penn fans that are going to travel down the Schuylkill Expressway to come to the game. Right. You know? Totally. Yeah. Well, after talking about basketball, let's transition to some of the other sports, um, most notably swimming. Um, Virginia Burns won for the fourth time um, the Ivy Leagues and just a lot of other really cool performances around Penn Athletics. Reham said he was named Ivy League Squash Player of the Year again. Um, yeah, can we, can we just st- stop on that note for a minute? Because uh, th- this is incredible. I don't, I don't know if a lot of people know what her stats over the last couple of years are, but um, she comes in as a freshman, goes twelve and three, uh, in you know in, in her own individual matches, and then as a sophomore, goes fifteen and zero, dropping two sets the entire time. Uh, all all the other all the others were sweeps, right? And she's named Ivy League Player of the Year. Um, and you know, at this point, you, she's only a sophomore. A lot of people might just say like you know, that's good enough, whatever. This year, she dropped one set. She somehow beat what seems like an almost unbeatable record last year. She beat it this year, and she's again Ivy League Player of the Year. Um, by the way, also undefeated this year um, and heading into the uh, individuals tournament in early March with a lot of momentum. So um, really just huge shout-out to her. Yeah. Uh, also in the world of lacrosse, or and men's lacrosse team pulled out a nice 12-9 win over Michigan. Sorry to my mom. My mom's a Michigan alum, so I wouldn't say I was, I wouldn't say I was torn, but, you know, sorry to the, you know, to the mom's side of my family. 
Um, <laughs> but they fell behind early. Uh, their starting goalie, which we'll talk a little more about later, uh, Reed Junkin, had bad migraines and ended up starting the game the second quarter. And you know, with his insertion, provided a lot of momentum. Uh, Kevin McGe- Kevin McGeary had four goals, led an offensive charge, and in the end, they were able to pull off a, a nice twelve nine win, overcoming the three point deficit. So, all good things from the world of men's lacrosse. Yeah, that uh, men's lacrosse game was was pr- it's it was a slow start for the Quakers. It seems like as soon as I looked up at the game, like they were behind three nothing. But after that, like, once they got going, they really got going. So it was nice to see them, like, take on a team that had already played a, a couple games in their opener and take them down, and then this is obviously the big test. And just to go back to uh, Virginia Burns real quick, I just want to say that for someone to just swim 500 yards in general, they're probably my hero. I can, like, barely <laughs> swim. So Virginia Burns, props to you. Great job. Um, but yeah, 500 yards, really far, and she did it really fast. And for to win anything in the Ivy League four years in a row on an individual level, that's yeah, absolutely I mean, insane. I, I, I don't know what the exact record is, but she's definitely one of the only people to do that. I think at Penn or in general. She's the only Quaker to ever do uh, Only Quaker yeah. ever, yeah. No, it's, I'm not it's sure about the Ivy League, yeah, yeah. but that's absolutely insane. Yeah. So <laughs> speaking of some really impressive individual performances, that brings us to... Um, our favorite segment, the hard-nosed athlete of the week. Um, and so we're going to go around and pick, you know, the player that we think had the most hard-nosed performance, the most laudable performance. A homage to our beloved editor, Cole Jacobson, a sprint football teammate of Zach. Uh, <laughs> one can say we're a department of a lot of skinny, weak people, and he <laughs> is someone who stands out for having big arms. So, <laughs> shout out to Cole. Very large. Zach, how large is Cole Jacobson? Oh, we call him Swole Jacobson. Um. <laughs> so Mark, why don't you lead us off? Uh, so I've mentioned him briefly before, but anytime you experience migraines, come back in the second quarter with your team down three nothing and you know, make it make a ton of key saves to to propel a t- team to victory over a decent opponent in Michigan. Uh, I think, you know, reach Junkin definitely put in a solid stake for uh, for hard-nosed player of the week. Um, you know, Kevin McGreary had a he had a, he might have had a huge offensive performance, but the change in momentum came with the insertion of Reed. Um, so, but yeah, what are you guys' thoughts? Yeah, I mean, just briefly before I, I get to my nominee, um, I have a lot of respect for lacrosse goalies because those balls are like. I don't know what the the speed is. Oh my god! It's ridiculous. Someone plays across. I wouldn't say I shot very fast, but I wouldn't want to like be in a cage with me shooting. No, it seems horrible. (laughs) (laughs) You got to be a little bit absolutely insane. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. So uh, shout out to goalies. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, for the goalie pod. (laughs) (laughs) Same Um, goalies. Yeah. So so my nominee for hard nosed player of the week, um, Quinn Scannell. She's a freshman she won the 200 yard backstroke uh at the ivy league championship which just you know winning as a freshman is incredible but uh so this is uh, along with virginia burns obviously we talked about this is the uh first time in penn history that uh oh no this is sorry this is the second time in program history that um two different women have won individual titles at the championship and 
Uh, Quinn Scannell's getting my award because she won by three tenths of a second in the 200 yard backstroke, which is just like incredible concentration. You know, you're coming down the stretch. I, I'm not a swimmer, so I'm just <laughs> assuming. You know, you're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're coming down, the person's right next to you. You're you got that they're swimming. Is that what you're assuming? No, I, I'm, I'm assuming that this is what's going through your head as you're like, you're neck and neck, you're on your back, Don't swimming drown. hard. Don't like, drown. And, <laughs> and to win by three tenths of a second, I mean, just gut out that victory like that, that's tough. That's hard nosed. And, and so, uh, Quinn Scannell is my nominee for hard nosed player of the week. Well, as hard nosed as both of those performances were, you guys are both wrong. <laughs> my, my hard nosed player of the week goes to the entire baseball team. They shaved their heads in a fundraiser for cancer uh, with the Verse Cancer Foundation, which... Well, to fight um, cancer. They're not raising money for cancer. That'd be pretty Cancer. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> pretty messed up. Do we have, do we have bleak? Do we have that bleak thing? We, 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 we can if we Should want Should I just redo that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, they, they were raising money for pediatric brain cancer, and... You know, shout out to all of those guys. That's a great thing to do. They're going to be doing that throughout the season. So good for them. That's great stuff. That's that's my and, part. And of that's and that's a good plug. I think yeah. I assume they're taking donations. Like, uh, if you feel inclined, donate to uh, fight cancer with the baseball team. You know, it is tough to argue against that. And Carter did win last week. But I feel <laughs> like I can definitely counter uh, Sam, <laughs> counter Sam's pick. So right now, I guess I'm playing for maybe hopefully the upset the first first seed right now, but <laughs> definitely going for second right now. But I would say we're talking about hard nose. That doesn't mean the best performance, and I don't know what's more hard nosed and tough than coming back from a migraine, a three nothing deficit to propel your team to win over a very strong opponent. I mean, we're talking about regular season versus championship. I'm saying we're, we're Quinn is a freshman and she's got a freaking ring. All right, <laughs> hard nosed. I think the award it's the classic argument that comes with like most valuable. It's, it's the biggest stage. Player. It's the biggest stage. I hard think, nosed I think that Zach needs tough. to be the uh, the determiner for this. <laughs> all right, uh, I I think that there is definitely a hard nosed quality to being a goalie, especially. I didn't know that Reed was out with migraines, but he did. I think make two straight saves just straight up with his face mask. <laughs> so uh, that's pretty good. But I I agree. Like being a freshman and going into an Ivy League championship and gutting out a win like that, that's pretty that's pretty good. Um, especially as someone who can't swim. Anyone's listening to this, I'm always up for swimming lessons. Um, Can you play lacrosse goalie though? I'm not like <laughs> I don't know. I think so. This is a absolute digression from everything that's going on in the show but I really want to be rich enough one day to own an NHL team because I think an NHA, <laughs> NHL goalie could very easily be replaced by like a sumo wrestler who just takes up the entire goal and just takes it that would be uh, interesting to see honestly yeah. Yeah. could just sit there the whole time Yeah, this, it's, it's money puck that's all I'm saying <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah the, the hard nose performance of the week has got to go to the baseball team out there doing really good stuff Especially because some of those guys had, had some pretty good hair, if I do say so myself. But to bring some awareness and raise some money for a, for a good cause, you're never going to lose in my book. So I guess I'm a sucker. So, yeah, I mean, now, it, you know, once Carter, they, they were, they, you know, they, they had, Carter had that in the bag. But oh, yeah. Pick, pick second place. <laughs> pick second place. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I think second place is kind of soft. <laughs> I, I, think, I think it's win or get out and hard-nosed player of the week. 
<laughs> yeah, Cole wouldn't want a winner for second yeah. place. <laughs> That's true. Again, I harped on this in the first episode. How triggered I am at the fact that I still do not have a trophy. <laughs> I can't hang my participation medals in my room because I didn't bring in my in my dorm. I didn't bring any. I didn't bring any of my participation trophies from home. So right now I have no trophies, and all I want, all I want. It's a hard-nosed player of the week award, well, or at least to pick one. And I don't know, man. Well, I don't know. I think Reed Junkin was absolutely great this season. So, Mark, it is my pleasure to tell you that Sam has won second place this week, <laughs> <laughs> and it looks I like you're gonna have to go a little bit longer without that trophy. That's not fair to Reed. <laughs> you know I'm sorry. Don't don't do that. Don't take this out on Reed. That's not nice. That's not fair. I'd, I'd like to thank everybody that supported me through this. I'd, I'd like to thank my mom. I'd like to thank my coaches. It's a stupid podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even like this show. <laughs> All right. I'll be making guest appearances. Zach can replace me now. <laughs> I'm done. That was a good run, boys. It's a good run. Well, Zach, thanks so much for joining us this week. It was great having you on the show, and thank you to all of our listeners for joining us as well. We'll see you next week on Penalty Box. Thank you so much to our producers, Lauren Sorrentino and Yossi Weitzman. We'll see you guys next week. Yup. Thank you.